Welcome to the main column, proudly brought to you by our season sponsor, Maricam. Maricam is a global leader in full-service sulfur removal, caustic treating, and spent caustic treatment technologies. We also provide spent caustic handling services as an alternative to technology solutions. Maricam's reputation stands on principles of proven performance, unsurpassed expertise, and an uncommon commitment to its customers. For more information, visit Maricam.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, we are at the Global Syngas Technologies uh, Conference in uh, San Diego, California. I'm joined by Clint Johnson. Uh, Clint is the Vice President of Process Engineering at SMB. Um, how are you doing today, Clint? I'm doing great. Really enjoying the conference and uh, enjoying a lot of great presentations so far. Yes, and you gave one of the presentations yourself, didn't you? We did, yeah. We were right after the keynote speech, so um, front and center. Front and center. So they gave you the, the good spot. Did you slip them a 20 to get that? that? Yeah, I guess. I, uh, they may have regretted it. I don't know. But people, nobody seemed to fall asleep yet, so that's good. Um, I mean, your presentation did speak a lot about um, uh, carbon intensity and incentives. So how do incentives and penalties play distinct roles in shaping the landscape of clean energy subsidies? Yeah, well, if you look at a lot of, you know, clean energy projects and developments right now, of course, um, subsidies are a huge driving factor, right, early on. You know, the intention is that uh, as the technologies and projects take off and move down the cost curve, that the amount of subsidies can ultimately reduce or, you know, be eliminated over time. And the subsidies really, broadly speaking, kind of take two different forms. You know, there are penalties and there's incentives, or as we like to call it, you know, sticks and carrots, right? Uh, incentives uh, are things like tax credits, uh, grants, you know, low interest loans, you know, things of that nature. And then uh, penalties would be tariffs, um, you know, renewable fuel standards, things that obligate different parties, um, you know, to purchase lower carbon uh, products or or pay a penalty. And, you know, there's a number of different uh, examples of both categories, and they really work together, um, you know, to shape the economic landscape for a lot of these projects. All right. Well, thank you for the answer, Clint. Um, so can you uh, provide an overview? I mean, everybody is uh, familiar with the IRA. Can you uh, give an overview of the IRA tax credits influence on ammonia projects? Yeah, sure. So the IRA has a kind of a grab bag of, of different uh, you know tax implications. Um, you know, the forty five E, forty five C, forty five Q, V, Z. You know, kind of an alphabet soup, right? Um, they all work in different ways. They all apply to different. Um, types of technologies and projects. But the two that really come into play uh, in the hydrogen economy um, and, and specifically ammonia are the 45Q and the 45V. So the 45Q has been around for a while. It's, a, it's an income tax credit uh, for capturing and either using or sequestering uh, CO2. Right, so the way it works is you uh, capture the CO2, you do something with it, and you get a tax credit for every metric ton uh, of CO2 that you handle. The amount of the credit uh, depends on what you're using it for. 
So if you're sequestering it uh, in the ground, you get up to $85 a ton. If you're using it for enhanced oil recovery, you get $60 a ton. You know, if you're doing direct air capture, pulling it directly out of the air, you get multiples of that. So that one really just depends on the method uh, of what you're doing with the CO2. The 45V, on the other hand, uh, is a new tax credit created by uh, the IRA last year. And the interesting thing about the 45V is that the amount is based on the carbon intensity of the hydrogen that you're producing. So if you get under a certain threshold, it's uh, four kilograms of, of CO2 equivalent per kilogram of hydrogen, then you get 60 cents per kilogram in, in tax credit. And as you move down in carbon intensity, the amount you get goes up. So if you get below 0.45 kilograms of CO2 per kilogram of hydrogen, you can get up to $3 per kilogram or five, five times the tax credit. And so the interesting thing for uh, ammonia and other hydrogen derivative projects uh, question is which tax credit should, should we get? Uh, because you can't get both, which is important. And so if you look at it, um, you know, the punchline is these projects will, will take the 45Q, that's worth the most amount of money, unless they can get the hydrogen um, carbon intensity down to the $1 per kilogram uh, threshold in which case the 45V becomes worth more money and they would take that one. So there's, there's a, a whole optimization, you know, exercise, um, you know, that, that can and is being done on all these projects to, to understand how to unlock the most value. What about the, the, the 45Z? So 45Z is, is for sustainable aviation fuel, um, or I think, it's, I think it's actually kind of technology neutral. So it's kind of, it, you know, it, I, I forget the exact title, but it's essentially like advanced fuels. And so that, that one we're not seeing come into play as much in the kind of hydrogen and derivative space. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so the blue ammonia, of course, because I mean, that's the focus here, um, at least in this conversation, has garnered a significant amount of attention in recent years. Um, can you uh, illuminate its potential and how it integrates with the larger carbon intensity discussion? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, and that's right. We're, we're seeing a lot of interest in, uh, in ammonia, blue ammonia, green ammonia. Um, if you just do a quick Google search, you know, you'll find a number of projects, um, probably on the order of 10 plus large scale blue ammonia projects uh, announced, you know, just in the U.S. And uh, if you look at, well, what's driving that? Well, for one thing, ammonia uh, doesn't have any carbon in it, right? Ammonia is, is nitrogen and hydrogen. So if you can produce it with a low carbon intensity, there's no carbon emissions uh, once it's combusted, right? So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is just the, the demand. Um, you know, you've got ammonia, the lion's share of ammonia that's produced in the world goes into uh, ultimately fertilizers, right? And so you've got, you know, as population grows, um, you know, you've got just this baseload kind of demand increase with ammonia that's, that's always there and, you know, relatively predictable. But what we're seeing is now a new application for use of ammonia as a fuel and that's really been kind of the game changers, you know. And so you're seeing now beyond this just sort of baseload, you know, a few percent, you know, per year increase perhaps in demand. You've got this whole new demand uh, for ammonia as use uh, as a fuel. 
a lot of that's being driven uh, out of Asia, you know, where uh, Asian countries are, are beginning to import or look to import ammonia for use uh, as a fuel in, in power production and other applications. Um, Ammonia makes a lot of sense as a hydrogen carrier, right? It, um, as we said earlier, doesn't have any carbon uh, in the molecule, uh, but it's certainly more transportable or easier to transport than just, you know, liquid hydrogen itself. So I think that's what we're seeing uh, driving a lot of the ammonia projects. How do you feel about um, so ammonia in comparison to, say, methanol for transporting hydrogen or as a fuel? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, we're involved in, in projects that are doing both. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to compare or say which one's better or worse. I'll tell you, uh, methanol, we're seeing a lot of traction right now as a marine fuel, as a bunker fuel, you know, for ships. Um, there's a lot of existing infrastructure out there that, that can be used for methanol, right? Methanol is a, is a liquid, you know, at ambient temperature and uh, can be stored in, you know, traditional fuel tanks, that doesn't doesn't require any sort of, um, you know, specialized infrastructure to to store and transport methanol. So it's and methanol is often available at ports all over the world, right? So in terms of it's kind of a low hanging fruit for the maritime industry, right? Um, so there's a big push in that. The interesting thing about methanol, of course, is it does have a carbon atom, right? And so. Um, you know that presents some interesting. You are you are generating CO two when you combust. You know methanol, unlike ammonia, and so we're seeing a lot of push um, into green uh, methanol, e-methanol, especially e-methanol that's produced using a what they call a biogenic CO two source. So a CO two that would otherwise have been emitted anyways. You know, as opposed to an industrial CO two source. Kind of a whole circ. You know, if you think about it as sort of a circular process there. Um, so yeah, we see both and we, we see definitely, um, a place for both. We see a huge growth in both technologies and yeah, we're excited about those. As we discuss low emission, natural gas, um, how it compares and competes with RNG or renewable natural gas, um, especially regarding subsidies and, and the carbon footprint. Yeah. So you know, if you go look at the carbon intensity of, of hydrogen projects, ammonia, methanol, and, and other projects, you know, obviously a lot of it is, is the emissions out of the facility themselves, right, which, which uh, can be solved uh, or mitigated by capturing the CO2. But then if you go look at well, what's the next largest source, uh, it's usually the natural gas. So it's the emissions from the upstream emissions from uh, producing the natural gas, processing the natural gas, transporting the natural gas via pipeline to your facility. Those what are, are what they call scope two emissions. And those are a huge uh, driver of the overall carbon intensity. So that begs, you know, the obvious question of, okay, well, how can I reduce the uh, carbon intensity of that natural gas? Right. And, um, you know, if you go peel that back, there's there's various different frameworks that uh, calculate and estimate, you know, what is that carbon intensity. Um, one large factor in it is uh, leakage, right? So every, um, you know, pound of, meth of methane that leaks uh, causes a, the same amount of global warming potential as on the order of about 30, or sorry, uh, yeah, on the order of about 30 pounds of CO2. 
if that makes sense. So in other words, one, one molecule of uh, methane leaking out of a, a flange or something uh, causes a, a quite significant impact in terms of global warming potential. So one of the things we see um, natural gas uh, producers and marketers doing is offering a, a quote-unquote responsibly sourced gas, RSG, or a, or a certified natural gas, where they'll essentially, uh, for a small premium, price, they'll offer some sort of third-party certification of what is that leakage rate, you know, and, and give you some documentation and verification, um, you know, that it's below a certain level. And right now, there's there's very little standardization in the market on that. There's several different prominent third-party groups that offer that certification. They each have their own framework, they each have their own scoring system, they each have their own parameters. So it's kind of the wild, wild west right now in terms of, um, you know, what does that mean? You know, low emission natural gas and, and who's verifying that and how exactly are they doing it? Uh, renewable natural gas, on the other hand, is uh, natural gas that's produced by collecting methane from things like uh, landfills or, um, wastewater treatment facilities or uh, dairy farms, swine farms, things like that. And so there what you're doing is you're collecting uh, natural gas that would have otherwise just been emitted into the air or would have been combusted otherwise, and you're using that. And so under you know typical life cycle assessment frameworks, you can take credit for, for negative carbon intensity of that, right? Especially with animal waste. Uh, RNG, the framework, at least in, in California with the LCFS, is, well, a dairy farm, all that methane would just be emitted into the atmosphere. That creates, you know, a roughly 30x, you know, impact in terms of, of uh, CO2 emissions, right? Okay, well, by instead collecting that and then using that for some other purpose, well, now you're reducing all of those emissions that would have otherwise you know, occurred. And so you get a very, very negative carbon intensity score. And so if you take, you can, you know, some projects are looking at blending a portion of that, you know, highly negative carbon intensity renewable natural gas with a bulk um, traditional natural gas to, to drive the blended CI score way down and thereby capture more economic value. So let me ask you, actually, you just opened up a load of questions, actually, but so if we're talking about a dairy farm and, okay, so we have uh, like cow manure. So how, how is that any different than like if a chicken went, is there a different process there? Like how does that work? Yeah. I, so I should say I'm, I'm by no means uh, an ag guy or, or an RNG, you know, expert, right? But yeah, essentially that's what it is. You're, you're taking, uh, you know, you've got manure, right? That's uh, emitting methane into the atmosphere that, that uh, creates a disproportionate uh, impact versus if you just burned that methane, right? And so, yeah, you're, you're collecting that. I think they generally speaking, collected into, you know, lagoons where they, where they get as much of the methane as they can um, out of it and ultimately uh, process it, you know, they, um, you know, kind of purify it and then, and then ship it out. And, and then I would also ask, which maybe this is a foolish question, I'm not sure, but if you, um, so if we blend the renewable natural gas and natural gas to bring the CI score down, and, and that's, you know, uh, steam reform, 
what what do we get then? Is it you know is that low carbon hydrogen, zero carbon? What what what's the result? Yeah, yeah. It just depends on on what the blended carbon intensity is, right? And so um, that that's also an interesting question. That and and there's different frameworks for that, right? So let's just take take a hypothetical. Let's say we have a project and we're we're, we're taking five percent of our feedstock is is renewable natural gas and and ninety five percent of our feedstock is traditional natural gas. Let's just say, and we've got a blended natural gas carbon intensity of let's just say it's zero. Does that mean we're making um, and we're making ammonia? Let's say, so are we making and we're making a thousand uh, tons per day of ammonia? Okay, so are we making fifty tons per day of really really low carbon intensity ammonia and nine hundred and fifty tons per day of average carbon intensity ammonia, or are we making a thousand tons per day of low carbon? Do you see what I'm saying? Do we does the blended CI score go to all of the product, or is it only is it is it pro rata based on the portion of the feedstock? And there's different frameworks. Like the Europeans have have one framework on how that's treated. The California low carbon fuels market has a different framework. We'll see what the uh, you know IRA framework comes out from Treasury. But those are some of the detailed uh, wonky questions that we we uh, dig into. What role is SMB playing um, in clean energy projects? Yeah, we, you know, so SMB, we're uh, a mid-sized to large uh, engineering construction firm. We do a lot of uh, lump sum EPC projects kind of all across, you know, the energy space. Uh, we support projects in, in traditional energy, you know, refining, midstream, uh, LPG, things like that. And we're also finding ourselves increasingly busy in the kind of energy transition space. Um, all things hydrogen. You know, we're in construction right now on a large green hydrogen uh, project. We're supporting numerous others, doing a lot in ammonia and methanol. And so for us, you know, we, we like to be involved kind of cradle to grave. You know, we encourage um, our clients and potential new clients to contact us early. You know, we do a lot of early engagement services. We do, um, you know, a lot of feed studies and, and early options assessment. We're doing a lot of carbon accounting and uh you know, life cycle assessment and things like that. We do a lot of, um, you know, levelized costs, economic assessment, financial modeling, all, all those sorts of things to support people early on. And then, of course, as projects move forward, you know, we're a full service um, EPC with, with all disciplines in-house and the ability to execute um, projects, you know, of, of uh, a wide variety of scales. What is the background on this green hydrogen project, by the way? Yeah, it's a it's a green hydrogen project. Uh, I think it's public, but let me just be careful. You know, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to overstep here. I I believe it is, but um, yeah, it's a green hydrogen project by uh, a well known producer, and and we're uh, the EPC on it. We've supported them all along, and it's um, you know I think nearing the end of end of construction. We're looking um, you know working with our, our partner at uh, you know additional opportunities in the space so yeah we're excited and uh, i can tell you we've got a number of other green hydrogen projects um, in various stages of development that we're we're involved in well i mean that's pretty much all i had for you today clint um, do you have any final thoughts you would like to um, get out to the listeners no i this is great great questions um 
you know, this is the stuff we kind of talk about all day, so we could kind of go on and on. But um, look, it's a very, very exciting time in the market. Things are changing uh, constantly. Uh, we find that the devil is in the details, uh, very much uh, certainly in the hydrogen space, and uh, we are knee-deep in those details. So give us a call. All right, Clint. Um, well, again, thank you for joining us, and thank you to the listeners for tuning into another episode. Please remember to share and subscribe.